So in other words, if somebody is thinking that visibility will tell me, it's like looking at something but not understanding the story behind. I, I, I understand that my shipment is delayed. Excellent. I will fix it now. But can I understand why that shipment was delayed? Was it a structural issue or a one-off issue or even a, an act of God that we can you know, file away for history books and go back to business as usual? Or do we do something about it? So visibility is no longer just an execution realm. It needs to inform upstream processes like planning and all the way to even supplier management. You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This is the first episode in our new season, and it's a special one for a number of reasons. My guest this week is Anand Medapali. Anand is the Chief Product Officer at Shipio, a global leader in real-time multimodal transportation visibility. Now, I first met Anand this year at a conference, and we've had several engaging chats about supply chain visibility, and I thought you should hear some of it. Anand has over 25 years of experience as a trusted advisor with leading companies in product strategies, commercial account strategies, and asset planning decisions in transportation, supply chain, and financial services. He spent much of his career advising companies and defining innovative solutions to drive their growth. So being the first episode of this new season, we wanted to do something special. And as we all know, supply chain visibility is just one of those topics that we've been hearing about for some time now, and I want to break down that buzzword. What better way than to speak with someone like Anand? Today, Anand and I are actually in a recording studio in London to really get to the bottom of why supply chain visibility is so important and how it's easier to achieve than most people think. I'm going to be joining Anand and the team at Shipio in Paris for the Visibility Now event on the 18th of October, and this conversation is going to serve as just a great sample of what we're going to be discussing there. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Anand, welcome to Transform Talks. Thanks for being here. Oh, lovely to be here. You know, this is really interesting because you and I are doing this face-to-face. Normally, we record, or I record a lot of my podcasts uh, from the comfort of my home, and my guests are uh, in the comfort of their home or office or something. So yeah. thank you for actually being here in person. Oh, this is actually delightful. I mean, face-to-face conversations are always fun. To do a podcast face-to-face, more fun. More absolutely. fun, absolutely. So you and I met a while ago. Um, this year, though, this year. Earlier this year, yes. And we had a really interesting conversation all around visibility and around the supply chain industry. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll start with asking you about visibility in general, you Correct. know? Um and this is a bit of an, uh, let me just ask the question. What do people get wrong about visibility in the supply chain industry? Very good question. Uh, we, we, we always think about what is wonderful and what is correct about visibility. Uh, what could be wrong about visibility? They think that it's a panacea. I mean, <laughs> because visibility, rightfully so, has gained uh, a critical requirement status in supply chain the cadence between planning and execution being so reduced mm. so little, SNOP being a da- daily process now, 
it is important to have what's happening on the ground information in the hands of the people that that yeah. need that. So therefore, it's become a critical requirement. But what is, what is what people have to understand is it is necessary, but not sufficient for what they really need to get done. Okay, we'll expand on that. What okay. do you what do you mean on All that? Right. Um, so I think the PwC published a study uh, earlier this year that said something like uh, you know eighty three percent of supply chain executives um, a- agree that they are delighted with investments that they're doing in supply chain Mm -hmm. uh, solutions to meet the need of the hour, and yet they say that their ROI is lagging. They are not able to get that. And the same study kind of hinted at the fact that visibility is important and necessary for them to run their business, but visibility for the sake of visibility is not enough. So in other words, if somebody is thinking that visibility will tell me, it's like looking at something but not understanding the story behind. I... I understand that my shipment is delayed. Excellent. I will fix it now. But can I understand why that shipment was delayed? Was it a structural issue or a one-off issue or even an act of God that we can file away for history books and go back to business as usual? Or do we do something about it? So visibility is no longer just an execution realm. It needs to inform upstream processes like planning and all the way to even supplier management. To give you a very good example, one of our biggest customers, uh, an OEM, um, uh, Renault, they have supplier plants sending them parts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the delay that we detect uh, uh, about a shipment not arriving is because the supplier plant was not ready with the goods to load the truck. Why wait till later to have that monthly meeting with that supplier to say, hey, by the way, on Wednesday, first Wednesday of the last month, you were delayed. Why not tell them right away? So that's what people get wrong about visibility. They think that it is here and now only. Actually, it's now becoming more and more prevalent in going upstream to and even downstream processes like payment processes to know when a shipment got uh, delivered so that you can calculate the exact if there is any penalty or any charges to be made, calculated exactly, and the processes are getting faster that way. And that's what I think is an important point to understand is visibility can drive a lot of processes across the end-to-end supply chain, and people need to internalize that. So I'm, I'm going to try to get some points here with my uh, English teacher from high school, Mr. Kendall. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to quote uh, Henry David Thoreau, mm-hmm. who uh, basically said that it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. Correct. So going on in your point, visibility seems to be some this, this magic pill that people are hoping to take to solve all of their problems, and yet... They don't, right? Because they're bombarded with data, bombarded with information, and they don't necessarily act upon that in real time. Correct. I want to deviate a little bit into your background because you're a mathematician, aren't you? Yes, so I am. H- how do I how do you get a mathematician into supply chain? Right. And more importantly, what benefits do you think you see the world of supply chain in with your mathematician lens? Wow. Okay. Well, let's go back a little. Um, uh, yes, I am a mathematician, and believe it or not, I actually studied pure mathematics. My, my, uh, all the way up to PhD, I studied pure mathematics. But along the way, uh, one of my professors, my major professors, um, so I went to Iowa State University mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S., in Ames, Iowa. And uh, there, my professor, Dr. Fink, he introduced me to a subject called mathematical optimization, 
as an example of a very exotic area of pure mathematics called functional analysis. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to bore you to death about it, but suffice us to say that it caught my eye, it caught my fascination saying, oh my word, something that is so esoteric in pure mathematics actually has a live and value for businesses. And this was about optimization. In other words, I have meager resources. What's the best way to allocate my resources to get my objective, whether it is minimizing cost or maximizing it? So therefore, naturally, I walked into areas where mathematical optimization could be applied. So I started my career in airlines where I did you know, things like I worked for American Airlines to mm -hmm. begin with, where I was one of the guys who was responsible for coming up with algorithms to say which physical aircraft will fly which route to maximize you know, whether it is filling up the plane or revenue of the plane, whatever. So it so basically got into forecasting mm -hmm. and optimization and eventually got into pricing and from pricing went into retail pricing. And in retail pricing, obviously, lent me, brought me into supply chain world. I'm one of those lucky guys on earth who still does the stuff I studied for my grad school. Wow. I still do mathematics. I still do so artificial intelligence, neural networks, uh, machine learning. At their core are nothing but mathematical models. So I, I live and breathe that every day. I'm really lucky that way. So it was very easy for me to come in. And that's something that people should understand, that supply chain is particularly these days with visibility solutions mm -hmm. like ours, there is so much data. Mm -hmm. How do you make sense of that data? You need mathematical leaning at least to understand what to do with that data, look at what the data is telling you, and determine whether that data is telling you the right thing by looking at what it is, what is the data. So you need to have an understanding of that data, and mathematical leanings are important to be able to do that. So as a mathematician, looking back, I am not at all surprised that I ended up in supply chain yeah. because that's where... You know, it's like uh, Willie Horton or whoever it is said, right? Why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Yeah. Well, guess what? What do you do as a mathematician? You teach or you go to supply chain, in my opinion. Well, there's a purity and a beauty to math, isn't there? That's true. Uh, that's a, true. A synchronization mm. to it all. And I think if you're looking at a complex element like or a complex system like a supply chain, especially nowadays in, in this, this era of crisis and volatility, um, that purity, that ability to synchronize how it all works together. I, and now I can, I can completely see it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I've been going to a lot of conferences. You and I met at a conference. And the topic of supply chain resilience has been going on and on. We've been talking about it a long time. Um, that's all you hear nowadays. Yeah. And everybody's got a different opinion about how you build a resilient supply chain. So first of all, I think the question is, what does a, a resilient supply chain look like to you? And where does visibility fit into all of that? Fabulous. Yes, it's become a buzzword. Mm. Um, but it is true that resilient supply chains are, are the need of the hour. You talk to any supply chain leader uh, like yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. you yourself have mentioned that in your speeches. I've noticed. Here, so so I, I really wanted to understand what does this word resilience mean? So I, I really looked it up. I Googled it to be more accurate. And at least my, my hits suggested that the word resilience was applied to Material science mm -hmm. first. In other words, you know, you have a material, you bash it, can it bounce back? What will it take to bounce back? How fast can it? Rubber bounces back, mm -hmm. iron doesn't. So what do you need to do in order to do that? Then I see that it's actually applied in the case of mental health, resilience, mm -hmm. right? So what, what triggered you to feel bad and what could you do next time to avoid that trigger? Or how do you come back to your pre-crisis state first and then learn from that and make sure that that trigger doesn't happen? 
And then I see resilient supply chains. And I said, you know what, that definition that I found for either material science or, or mental health actually aptly applies here. So you have to understand the root cause. Mm -hmm. What is causing this disruption? That's visibility. Yeah. That is being visible. I mean, and I, I don't mean. I mean, I don't mean visibility in the sense of shipyard visibility, but mm -hmm. visibility, like I mentioned earlier on, you know, upstream processes. You know, is the supplier doing his job? That's visibility. Is the warehouse uh, operating properly? That's visibility. So that notion exists, and therefore you have to understand what is the root cause of it. The toolkit that you need to come back to the pre-crisis state, in other words, fix that dis disruption scenario, but then make sure that it doesn't repeat itself, has two. You know, tools in that toolkit. One is agility, so mm -hmm. respond fast, fix it now, forget about pontification for now. Then adaptability. Yeah. Do you need to change things structurally? So this ability to do so determines whether you are you have a resilient supply chain or not. Resilience doesn't mean it won't bend. What can you do to stop it from breaking? And how quickly can you and bounce back? And how quickly can you bounce back? That is the whole point. So that's why going back to your first question, it, 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 the thread is brilliant here because it is not visibility. That's what people get wrong about visibility is that it's not about here and now look at it. It's about I, I learn from it mm. and I fix it and I structurally monitor it so that it doesn't repeat itself so that I can deal with some other disruption. And this very nice virtuous loop of learn, you know, sense, respond, learn, fix, is a continuous loop that you need to have if you really want a resilient supply chain. And I think, again, going back to the whole visibility buzzword thing, you know, it's it's as though it's brandished about as, like you say, the panacea, that it's going to fix all and solve all. But yet there are a lot of elements and processes that are broken within an organization, so many silos and pockets of data and pockets of intelligence information. How does this all fit together in uh, to allow an organization to adapt quickly? So, very good point. Again, we can go back to the previous statement about I was giving, I was giving the example of visibility being available in mm -hmm. different pieces, right? So, I can't sit here and tell you that the shipyards of the world came along in the last decade and defined the word visibility in supply chain. That's mm -hmm. not true. You know, a, a demand forecasting system produced a forecast and the forecast went wrong. You had visibility to that. If a warehouse management system got the shift wrong and got the wrong people or the wrong uh, forklifts, et cetera, in place when a truck came to offload and it couldn't offload, you got visibility to that and you learned from that. TMS, same thing, right? Every, everything had its own visibility. The problem in supply chain, and I think it's even today, yesterday I was on a conversation with a global organization that is trying to figure this out. Visibility exists, but it exists in and in, in, of itself, mm -hmm. in the particular arena that you're in. So they're all in silos. Yeah. So that's number one. But supply chain is end-to-end. -end. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't sit here and say, oh, um, I, I can't pay this penalty because it's not my problem. I organized the truck carrier correctly, but you, warehouse person, didn't download it. Sorry, it's, it's what it is. So therefore, what supply chain visibility has done is started to come and give this notion that it's possible to get this end-to-end -end visibility. And if I can get technical for two seconds. Please. The way all these individual systems have been built over time, and I'm, I'm part of that too, by the way. My background, I worked at JDA, which is now Blue Yonder, as the VP of uh, retail supply chain products, and we build these solutions. These were all what are known as database-oriented architectures. Mm -hmm. What it means is that, you know, press a button, 
get a plan, go play golf, come back, and then a voila, a few receptions took place, fix that, mm -hmm. and submit it for the nightly batch run again. The cycle continues. Yeah, I'm, I'm simplifying it to of make course. a point, but the database orientation was that you collected information and then submitted it to a program for it to tell you what to do next. What visibility solutions like ours have done is taken that paradigm to the next level and introduced what is known as event-driven architectures. In other words, when something happens, it is processed asynchronously right there and then till its completion mm -hmm. and then persisted into the database. Mm -hmm. It's still useful for the nightly batch runs, but you need to solve the problem there. And therefore, the CIOs in supply chain organizations are looking at this going, this is my Trojan horse. How They, they struggle with how do we bring all these disparate, yes. incredible investments of ours, which are p very powerful. And ERP solution does its thing brilliantly. WMS, TMS, everything. Nobody should replace, rip, rip them up to replace them. They should just unlock the value in them by getting the data up to a layer which visibility provides because it is real time, it is asynchronous, it is event driven to drive the value out of these and persist information into those systems in real time so that when the time comes for those systems to act, namely a nightly run or a half-hourly half run, whatever the run is, it has the latest and the greatest information without having to spend a lot of time synchronizing databases. And if we can drive this end-to-end -end conversation like that, saying, create these event-driven solutions and have them work. You hear the buzzwords of control tower, mm -hmm. digital. That's what those are. Those are the ones that are trying to do these kind of work. But the reason you heard these control tower buzzwords in the past that they didn't, that didn't quite take off as well as they should have, even though technology mm -hmm. was there, was they were lacking the right data at the right time. A gap that visibility solutions fill. I, I would even argue there's something else that they were missing, and that is the sort of way to string it all together to demonstrate business value. 100%. Right? 100%. Because it's almost as though technology for technology's sake, visibility for visibility's sake, the siloed mentality, you know, the guy in one department or the gal in another department saying, I'm going to optimize this bit without looking at the end-to-end. -end. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm going to dissect this a little bit because I think w when with what you just said, what I'm interested in is what are the key challenges? I mean, it sound, you make it sound simple. I know it isn't. You make it sound like logical and it should work this way. Yep. But why isn't it? What's the, what's the rationale behind it? What are the big obstacles? And secondly, how do you get, I don't know, board buy-in for embracing this type of, I don't want to use the word panacea because you said it, but this, this holy grail mm -hmm. of end-to-end -end visibility that we've all been pursuing? It's no, I mean, so let's dissect that. So number one, you're absolutely right. It's it's not trivial to implement something like this. No. Now the good news is implementing visibility solutions is much more easier than anything in supply chain before, and I'll tell you why. When we were trying to implement our solutions back in, back in the day when I was running, you know, in, in, the, in the retail supply chain world, the challenge wasn't technology necessarily. The challenge was to get data together. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you if you dissect any of these big projects that any of the big guys typically try to do in uh, for supply chain organizations, they spend the first six to nine months trying to get master data together. Yeah. It's become a little easier today, sure, but it's still getting that master data together. Why? Because go back to that silo discussion, right? Visibility became a great equalizer. Mm -hmm. Visibility com companies came along, like us, said, hey, we don't need your data to begin with. Mm -hmm. We can start giving you data. To, so whether you are a $50 million company 
shipping one box a year or whether you are a multi-billion dollar global company shipping 50,000 boxes a year, a box is a box is a box. We track it. We give you the data. So visibility solutions became an equalizer. Right. And that, therefore, it has become a critical requirement because they realized that instead of wringing our hands and saying, how do I fine-tune my planning algorithms so that the disruption doesn't happen, they said, we don't have to expend too much energy to get that data to tell us what is going on. Let's feed our control towers. Let's feed our TMSs. Let's feed our planning systems with that data if we can. Let's spend energy on that to get going with that. So therefore, this being a C-level conversation has become easier. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time when I see when I have conversations with the IT departments and the business departments, and they both are equally enthusiastic about this conversation. Okay. I literally am referring again to my big call I had yesterday. Mm -hmm. It was with the IT. One person represented the IT organization. One was in the business organization. And they both were equally enthusiastic about this conversation that we were having. So there is that. So, you know, it's not easy. But, the, but it can happen. But it can happen. And it is happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that much I can tell you. With uh, what was the second uh, point you were making? Uh, the board the level, board, the board level conversation we talked about. But equally, yeah. what are the challenges? What are the what, challenges? Why is it that, you know, it's kind of I I use this example a lot, which is we all know the certain things to lead a healthier life, right? So it's not that hard, right? We know how what you need to do to lose weight. We know what you need to do to lose, uh, I don't know, to be mentally healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But we yet, as human beings, we don't necessarily do the logical things, right? True. So again, here's this situation that you've just explained to me. It sounds logical that this is the kind of thing that you need to implement, but yet there are challenges. What stops us? What stops companies from, uh, I don't know, investing in this type of thing or buying into this, this vision? So, first of all is... Or executing on or it. Or executing on it, actually. First of all is, you know, the belief that this can be done. So, that's one. Okay. So, there, there's education required, and, right. you know, people like us do that job. I mean, this conversation hopefully will, yeah. will, will inform. No question about that. So, there is that. I mean, so there is that. Because if you, again, going back to how supply chain solutions yeah. have evolved over time, it takes a long time. If the ROI there very quickly... My, you know, my disruptions are hitting me every day, every hour. SNOP was a monthly process. Now it's a daily process. Can I get enough information into mm -hmm. that? So there is that belief that people need to have. So there is yeah. that aspect of it. So, okay, let's walk past that. The second aspect of it is that, again, going back to that story uh, of what visibility is, it's not just that you can look at the data. You have to act on it. How do I automate my processes? And which is why we, you know, at Chipio, we launched the mm -hmm. whole notion that process automation, actionable visibility is important and understanding how that can be actioned, whether it is through a control tower or a digital twin or your Excel spreadsheet, I don't care. As long as you're able to act quickly on it and that ability to do so is the, is the, is the other one. The third aspect of it is, of course, their investments in the existing ecosystem and their understanding of how this fits into that ecosystem. Can this really be the layer on top of everything to unleash the value in each of these? I, I would add fear, basically. And, so the and fear. Therefore, and therefore fear. Maria, you're absolutely right. And therefore fear that, ooh, can we really do this? Can I, do, can I, do I have the budgets to spend this? Mm. And, and things like that. But the reality of, on the ground is that Supply chain management, as we know it, has fundamentally shifted. Oh gosh! You know that's an understatement. Uh, uh, that's an understatement, isn't it? I mean, if SNOP is a daily process from a monthly planning, I know in organizations has gone from being a quarterly or a biannual process to a monthly process. How far do you think is design and 
and those processes going to, can they stay at yearly level? They mm. cannot. Mm. They will come down. That means that they are really now, VUCA used to be a buzzword, yeah. now they're really in that world. Yeah. And therefore fast, they have to respond at the speed of disruption. So the choices have gone from their hands. They have to do this. It's just a matter of how do they figure doing, how do they figure it out? And I think we can't underestimate, going back on my point of fear, there's been a lot of investment in technology, in legacy systems, and I, and for a large-scale organization, there's got to be some semblance of reticence, if not fear itself, that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to undo some of this stuff, unpick some of these uh, legacy systems or processes that I've got. I'm going to have to collaborate with my peers or cross-functionally collaborate across multiple departments, um, and it doesn't work that way. So... Uh, how do you overcome that fear? I love what you said, which is first believe that it actually can happen. Absolutely. Right? Believe that it, there is a way to make this happen. So I'm glad that we're talking and I'm, I hope that this continues. I want to look at the future now, right? Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward because we know we're living in a VUCA world. Yep, I mean, yep. that's an understatement and we know supply chain has changed. But let's fast forward two years from now. Mm -hmm. This VUCA is not going away. Nope. I think anyone can tell you, you don't need to be an economist, you don't need to be a geopolitician, you nope. don't need to be uh, a businessman to read the tea leaves that we are living in a very disruptive era now. This is our new normal. Absolutely. That's another buzzword that's overused. So let's fast forward to two years from now. Again, I'm going to ask you to look into a crystal ball mm. that you probably don't have and I don't have, but the companies that don't layer this type of visibility into their existing supply chain functions or their existing business functions, where are they going to be? They will struggle. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I hope to God not, but mm. they will struggle because th 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 there are a few trends that we have to be super clear about, right? One is, of course, the market forces uh, that are telling you that, hey, the, the traditional uh, volatility, et cetera, are there, but there is a third force, market force, that is coming into our lexicon now, ESG. Mm -hmm. It's not a buzzword whether you morally feel obligated to be sustainable or whether you're th afraid of the legislation that's coming into the pipe. I don't care. You have to do that. So there's these market forces you have to manage. Already, even if nothing else is true, what is supply chain management all about? Used to be cost, ma cost minimization, then it became profitability management. Mm -hmm. Now comes sustainability. Sustainability comes at a cost. How do you balance those two? Suddenly your world is different mm -hmm. al al already. You have no choice here. Those are the market forces. Now look at the customer forces. You know, B2B organizations are behaving as if they are waiting for a package at home, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, when OEMs, automotive OEMs are operating their plants just in time strategy, that part not being there on that day is a big deal, yeah. and they will be upset about it. So that, how do you manage that? And then there is a third trend, which is employee experience. And people don't talk about this, but I do, because maybe uh, my kids are now growing up and they are in the workforce and they're getting into the workforce. These kids are getting into the workforce, and with no disrespect, obviously, to all the younger generation, but they get into, and they are not like me. Mm. I mean, give me a spreadsheet with numbers, and I'm stoic about it, and mm. I'll get on with it. But I have actually a real-life example where in a leading pharmaceutical company, when, they, when the existing workforce who did quality assurance retired because they are of a certain age, they hired youngsters. First thing, they came into that organization and said, is, is there a YouTube video to see how this is done? And I won't be surprised if somebody who heard that said, what is YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so the outgoing generation versus the newcoming generation. That generation wants an experience with which they can make decisions on the ground. 
They, these are, and they want real-time. And they want real-time information because this is the That's what they're used to. They, that's what they're used to. I mean, you got into supply chain because you were a mathematician. Mm-hmm. Now you supply chain is a frontline news. It's kitchen table conversation. So kids are growing up thinking, I want to be in supply chain. But then they put away their smartphone and they sit in front of your system and they can't answer a customer's call as to why their part is delayed because you don't have... You don't have your WMS and your TMS and your visibility all surfacing up the right information for that mm-hmm. person, who's probably, by the way, as a hybrid worker, is sitting in her jammies in mm-hmm. her bedroom answering an important uh, question. So there is no choice here. Mm-hmm. The market forces, the customer forces, and your own employee forces are colliding to create a perfect storm. And if you put your head in the sand about this, then I'm afraid you will be left behind by one of those three, maybe all three. And you don't want to do that. So that's why I think that they will be left behind if you're not progressing. Now, you don't have to solve it in two years, but you better get on the journey today so that you are part of the way there at least and give yourself two, three, four years, depending on the complexity of your supply chain, depending on how global and how big you are, it will take you time. That's fine. But not starting it in the name of I may not get there is to go back to your example of saying, well... I mean, I will lose the weight to the level I want, so I don't even want to exercise and become bigger than normal. So that's my take on this. I I would agree with you. And I would also add that there's probably other factors and forces, such as the uh, changing pace of technological change, right? The, the, The tremendously fast pace of technological change. So this workforce is a digital generation. Once they come into the workforce, once they come into consumer power, in other words, they get more consumer spending, they're going to want to see things quickly. They're going to want to make decisions quickly. We're going to have technology that's going to need us to have things done quickly. And if we don't change if these companies don't change they will be laggards they'll be left behind uh, in a new era of sort of the the agile uh, company uh, absolutely and again I, I worry about the employees that they can attract if they don't invest in this next generation capabilities again I go back to your wonderful point about technology for the sake of technology is not the answer no technology to enhance your business or your business outcomes is the right answer so pick up the technology. It does, it may, maybe it is somewhere else. It doesn't matter. But know that your existing technologies are no longer fit for purpose if you, again, look at the market customer employee yeah. dynamic, if you will. So we've reached the end of the podcast. I'll, I mean, I can continue talking to you for a long time, <laughs> and I know I will in Paris when we go to this event. So I'm going to be speaking at uh, the Visibility Now event. So I'm, I'm very excited for that. Um, but I want to ask you the final question that I ask everybody on this show, which okay. is to think of a book that has made an impact on your life, whether mm. it's personal or professional, uh, and why? Several books, obviously. Uh, it's, wow, okay, hold on, let me think. So I'm a very socially aware person. Anybody who knows me will tell you that I, I, I think deeply and feel deeply about society, and therefore I read books. That, so I, and, and, I, and I believe that I'm still evolving uh, mm-hmm. despite my gray beard. And, and therefore, uh, I, un- I like to understand what made some people. So I read Maya Angelou's book, mm-hmm. you know, you know, uh, uh, Why the Caged Bird Sings, is, is one of my favorite books because it really explained why she became who she became. Or uh, you know, Barack Obama's you know, book of Dream of My Father, which made him who he is. I don't read subsequent books. I like reading that kind of books. But the one, so in my personal life, books like that have made a difference. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm a shallow guy as well, so I read fictions, fast-paced fictions, et cetera. Um, but the one that has had an impact, funnily enough, uh, which might surprise some of my friends uh, and family, uh, is actually Anne Ryan's Fountainhead. 
Okay. Uh, and I read it as a as a youngster uh, growing up in India. One of the books I read was uh, Anne Rand's Fountainhead, and uh, the, the the protagonist uh, Howard uh, Rourke's his 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 life impacted me. I, I don't believe in individualism over collectivism. Mm-hmm. I believe it takes a village to do things. Even if I want to get from my place to your place, I need the road and the mm-hmm. road is a collective thing. So I don't believe in that push of Anne Ryan. But it made but, you think. But it made me think about what Howard's uh, journey was. He traveled a road less traveled yeah. with nothing but vision in his head. Yeah. He had nothing else. Everybody was a naysayer. Mm-hmm. And I realize that actually has influenced me. And over a beer one day, I will talk to you about important decisions I made in my professional life. The risks I've taken have paid off not only for me, but actually for my team and for my company. And you know, and I'll, I'll close with this, which is what has helped me push for this evolution of the visibility category towards transportation process automation and I'm so lucky to be in Scipio where my founders Pierre and Lucien are cut from the similar cloth that said yeah let's do this visibility for visibility sake is not good let's do actionable visibility with nothing but a vision I started walking down a road several times in my career that has helped me along and I hope to God I don't lose that edge so yeah so those are the kinds of books so different books influenced me differently I want to thank you for being on Transform Talks and for coming to meet me in person. Oh, how time flew. This was a brilliant, absolutely delightful conversation. Thank you for having me. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.